Welcome, welcome, welcome to the last ever edition of the Scottish Watches podcast. Are you about to expire? No, no. It's because of our guest. Why? You see, <laughs> our, our guest has a reputation because I checked this and the last podcast that this guest was on stopped broadcasting immediately after he appeared on it. No one has heard from the Across Time Zone boys since he was last on their show. Is he the podcast Grim Reaper? He is the Grim Reaper of podcasting, so this oh. could well be this could well be it for us. Both oh. of us together. You thought I was going to go first. You thought it was just going to be me expiring, but it turns out we're you're, both you're going together. You're taking everyone down with you. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, like Absolutely. any good criminal. <laughs> Absolutely. And speaking of criminals, I think <laughs> this is the last time we've got a Latino on the show. It's never happening again. <laughs> what they say about timekeeping turns out to be absolutely true. It's taken us <laughs> 40 minutes. 40 minutes to set this up, as well as the 14 weeks previous when he stood us up last time. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> because he was getting his whole. I expected this. Yeah. I expected this from Scottish. Yeah. I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> so we have got a guest yeah. on the line, in case you haven't already figured that out. And this is somebody we've seen online for a long, long time, probably when I first got into watches. I think one of the first videos around about then was one of yourself, and you've also appeared on Watchbox and everything else. So everybody, a warm round of applause for our Latino friend, Spanish Rob. <laughs> I- <laughs> I, I, I'm assuming he is actually you are actually Spanish and therefore Latino and it isn't some kind of big Trumpian hoax. <laughs> no, it's it's, it's, it's <laughs> you don't just call yourself Spanish um, Rob for giggles. He's for not some counterfeit. <laughs> I'm. I like to. I like to tell people when they ask, "Are you actually Spanish?" I'm like, "I'm from New Jersey," <laughs> because so, so <laughs> because it doesn't really matter. But it's. Uh, it was just. It was just branding. I did like such a long time ago, way before the watch industry. I mean, the 1600s. Such a yeah, something like around the, <laughs> along, the 16th century, mm-hmm, actually. Along with Cortez. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was just kind of a branding that happened by accident when I was in college, and uh, it wasn't meant to be literal because my I I'm Peruvian and I'm from New Jersey, but I am technically part Spaniard, and my last name is Velasquez, which is like Jones over in Spain. So hmm. uh, I am somewhat Spanish. Yes. Okay. And can you speak Spanish? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's fine. Seguro. It's not. Yes. It's going to make no difference to us whether you can speak. We couldn't tell if you can speak it or not. <laughs> Chill, you could, be, you could be speaking in tongues for all I know. There we go. Uh, good stuff. Well, welcome to the show, Mister. So, so do folk for, just call you? For having do me. folk call you Spanish Rob? Like, if you're at a red bar event, do they say, "All right, how's it going, Spanish Rob?" Or do they call you? You Rob? know, it, um, it. I, I have no real. Um, I don't care either way. So people will call me either Rob uh-huh. or Spanish. Actually, some of my older friends, some of my oldest friends, literally just call me Spanish. Right. Okay. Um, because uh, it's been a name I think for eighteen something plus years. Right. Okay. So it's interesting, yeah. Ricky, that uh, Rob seems to be a title of people who have been on the show that they are that attract. You know, words before them have had got Spanish Rob, and previously we had Handsome Rob. Now known as Herpes Rob. Now known as Herpes Rob, as he's refused to give us those grand secos that he flaunts round as a as a managing as a manager for for yeah. grand seco. We can always revert so, it back if we get a delivery. A delivery of two grand secos mm-hmm. and Herpes Rob becomes Handsome Rob once more. Once again. Yeah. <laughs> so there we go. Rob, it's great. There's always anyway, a Rob. Good stuff. So, right. So I think it's time we'll introduce you a little bit further to the listeners because not everybody will have a phone going beep in the background. <laughs> not me, not guilty. 
I don't know how to. <laughs> don't you well, worry. We, Just we, don't, we, don't, we, don't, don't touch anything. anything. Rob, don't back anything. away from the <laughs> phone. Everything's fine. <laughs> put the weapon we tried, away. It's all good. We tried Skype. We tried WhatsApp. WhatsApp and we are now using Facebook <laughs> in order to try and capture the essence of this call. Mm-hmm. So after this, it's MySpace and then Bebo and then Friendster. Sounds good. Uh, so we'll just keep our working. And then we're just calling Josh Thanos and asking him to do it. Yeah. <laughs> we're just finding another Latino. We'll just get him. He'll do. He can probably oh do it. I don't even think Thanos is Hispanic. Is, is he not? He? I don't know. Is he? he just looks I don't it. think he is. I think he's just from Miami. <laughs> I mean, it's close enough. Is that just his... Like, it's almost... You all look the same to us. You... <laughs> yeah, well... That's fine. It's all good. So, let's take things back a little bit. Do you want to explain... Welcome, what? welcome, welcome to the Casual Racist Scottish <laughs> Podcast Show. <laughs> Hey, we're Scottish. We're always getting shot on by people. We're allowed to. <laughs> That's true. That's the, the original minority. Yes, we are. So Ginger. I'm actually very, 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 very impressed that I can understand both of you guys. I don't know if you guys are actually Scottish. So I don't know. <laughs> oh, there we go. Usually I can't understand a word you guys are saying. Not you guys, but other Scottish people. Go on. That's my problem. Well, thanks stuff. for that backhanded compliment, I suppose. So, Rob, do you want to tell the, the listeners a little bit about yourself and you know your experience, where you came from in the watch industry? And how you got to be this pinnacle of podcasting that we have here with us today. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be here for the series finale. Um, <laughs> I got my start about 15 years ago in 2005, almost 15 years ago. And I just started in retail. Uh, I was working my way through college and I went from a jewelry store to a watch store, Tourneau. And uh, this was back in the heydays before websites and you know apps and digital media it was all just print. You just had Watch Time magazine and you just had Tornos opening up left and right in the heyday when watches cost one to $3,000 on average because everything just hadn't had movement. And I mean, things, times are great. And they're opening up stores left and right. Um, so I joined and I worked my way up the ladder. Just I learned everything I could. I was a sponge. I was in my young, early 20s and just decided to like learn everything possible and worked my way up the corporate ladder with Torno, became like a million dollar salesperson, a national trainer. Uh, and then over the years, I, I traveled and I would I lived abroad and just kept working my way up. I became inspired by the people I, I met in the industry, all the reps and the presidents and whatnot. And I, I wanted to do something similar to that. And I eventually got the opportunity to be a national trainer of Tourneau. And then I was able to work for Paddock. I, I managed a boutique on Fifth Avenue for a different Italian brand. Um, and I've done just such an uh, eclectic different amount of different jobs in the industry. So I like to it's a very unique set of skills because I've been able to run the watch department for an auction house and develop it from scratch. I was able to help a bunch of different publications, uh, watch startups, micro brands, independent brands. I've been working with a lot in the last couple of years. Uh, very proud of, of helping watch time and doing all their social and digital and rebranding uh, and a few other publications I've, I've worked they with. They stole one of my articles. Um, <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> they did, didn't they? I, I wrote an article for our website saying that Watch Time was a really good magazine, and they stole my article and then put it in their letters page as if I'd written it as a letter. That's <laughs> <laughs> they they, they, they got to do what they got to do, man. Exactly. Gotta... It's Latino blood again. 
totally my doing. It I was, was like, you. That it is was a good you. Article. Let's steal so that. that. They need all. That <laughs> last time you stood us up, you were busy copying and pasting. You were TGVing it. <laughs> so, well, how did you end up on Writing Instagram and with all these followers and going to all these events? How did all this come about then? Moving from the, the non-digital to the the social media realm. Well, the funny thing is, I was uh, in the tech community in New York. Was one of my best friends. We used to throw these tech parties and we used to do all that stuff. And when the tech boom was happening in the early like 2010, 11 in New York, we were doing these these parties and I had been really well connected with just that whole scene in New York City. And that led me to eventually start using social media because I wasn't necessarily keen on it. And then Instagram happened and I actually had like an Android at the time. So I came up to the party late, like an hour late, like a, a year later. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a familiar story with you. I remember, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. And then TikTok, and I remember a niche and Daily Watch, and people already had started these accounts. And, you know, I should have, in theory, made my brand like watch related, but I just kept using the brand that I already had. And I combined my social life with my work life and just made the Instagram Spanish Rob. Ideally, up to this point in my career, no one knew me as Spanish Rob. Spanish Rob was completely separated. It was like personal life, and, and my work life was just Robert Velasco. It's this guy who works at Paddock. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Red Bar happened and that kind of helps, you know, with, with Instagram. But Instagram just kind of blew up because I was taking photos of watches and I just was in the inside. I had like years, I still have like decades, not decades, I'm sorry, uh, like tens of thousands of, of photos that haven't been seen in the light of day. Um, and uh, I just started putting them on Instagram eventually. And that's how Red Bar kind of happened. Went to Red Bar and, I, you know, there was a handful of us and just started putting photos of watches and that kind of like, we used the hashtag and that kind of spread like wildfire. And I remember at the time people were just like, I want to join Red Bar. I want to start my own Red Bar. And at the time it was like Adam and I, and everyone, it was normal to have like two, 300 followers. Mm-hmm. And I think I had like maybe 2,000 followers. And that was a lot back then because back then like Watch and Niche had like 60,000 wow. followers. yeah. You know, and TikTok had like, I don't know, maybe like five or maybe 10. I don't even know. Because he was what I consider TikTok to be like the godfather of, of Instagram when it comes to the watch community. He's mm-hmm. the godfather of the watch family, in my opinion. Um, so that's how it started and just befriended. And, and a group of us eventually kind of like uh, lined up and, and grouped together and just like had WhatsApp chat groups and like talked and conversed and saw each other at watch events. Uh, it just kind of blew up from there, really. Um slowly and to be honest i probably have a lot more followers if my name was like watch rob or watch something um but then it does get lost in the fray of like the nine million watch yeah. accounts with the word watch or horology in it uh so maybe that worked to my benefit to be spanish rob it's just it confuses people though people are just like what the hell we were like what the hell's language and ethnicity have to do with anything um so i'm sure it turns some people off but i, I don't really care it's just a name exactly now a quick question for you just now are you hearing us through your headphones only or are you also hearing them in the room through the speakers on your laptop just the headphones perfect perfect that's good got to check on these things because we've <laughs> had a, a big problem in the past where we've got to try and edit out every single sentence because it echoes so that's perfect by, that's good by big problem we mean 10 and 2 specifically <laughs> Catelyn that's the big problem we're referring to yes oh man they're getting heckled they're not even on the show <laughs> they're they're heckled heckled hilarious. Yeah, heckled all the time uh, so tell me I, I listened to I alluded to a couple other podcasts that you've been on and you mentioned in RIP, RIP time zone across time zones. <laughs> uh, you met you had mentioned one of those podcasts a particular subject which they then never tested you on. So I'm going to ask you the question. So tell me what is the difference between equation of time and sidereal time? 
Oh, wow. Jeez, <laughs> um, I don't remember what side rail time, ah, the equation see, of time uh, has to do. Only, only, a few, only a few, only merely moments ago you were saying you'd learned all this from Patek and all the rest of it. Oh, my God, yeah. There was so much. But that, I'm not going to lie to you. That was like seven years ago. No, I'm sorry. That was nine years ago. That was nine years ago. I actually never had to um, actually uh, explain it. I can't, not side rail time because no one really ever knows what it means. But I, the equation of time has to do with the, the fact that the Earth isn't completely perfectly round circle, and essentially it makes an egg kind of like an oval shape around the Earth, uh, around the Sun. So essentially, the days are either up to an, an average fifteen minutes shorter or longer. And the equation of time kind of adds; it shows you whether the days are longer or shorter from as far down as fifteen minutes or fifteen minutes longer. Yeah, we'll wait. We'll shorter. wait you off for that. So that's the equation of time. Side real time has to do something with like the celestial equator. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know exactly. Right, okay. <laughs> the celestial equator. Yeah. Without, without something when, about the median. We we don't want this to descend into an episode of the Green Eight or Hodinky Radio, so we'll just leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so big ups to uh, James Stacey yeah, yeah, and, and James Stacey. I'm wearing James Stacey's boots today, or the same boots as James Stacey's got. I wear them better. I was like, you took his shoes. I took his, he came to Glasgow and I took his shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there'd be a wrestling I don't, match. I don't, wear, I don't wear the trousers at half mast though in order to show the, all the boots off. The Captain Scott boots, but there we go. Uh, yeah, big enough. I, I, I've never actually, well, no, I have met James once. Uh, good guy. Strikes me as being a, oh, strikes me as being a good egg. He's Canadian. So you said he was a the dick. Rest of them. No, I didn't. No, yeah. I didn't. He's Canadian. So unlike the rest of them, he's fine. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Extra points for being Canadian. I agree. Anyway, good stuff. So we should do a wristwatch check and. Uh, we should do this because Spanish Rob is famous for wearing two watches. So let's see if he is, in fact, wearing two watches today or whether he's just been to the gym and so is wearing nothing. <laughs> so what are you wearing? No, I, I'm wearing two and it just happens to be a good week to be uh, to be asking me because I just got... You're wearing the £31 million the, pound Patek, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I just picked it up from, from Christie's. Uh, it's, I think I'm going to flip it. It's not the prettiest watch. Uh, I will take a loss, people. Um, and I'm wearing the the Pioneer from Moser yes. that's going around the Pioneer the Pioneer Tour. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky enough to get it. I uh, saw a friend from Jersey who created an Instagram account just to post it, and I was just like, "That's amazing." Um, so then uh, he let me have it, and I actually gave it to a friend, Adam uh, Konza. I gave it to him first because he's actually leaving. He actually just left yesterday, mm-hmm. left New York. So I let him have it for the week. Uh, to wear, and he actually ended up taking, surprising his wife uh, on a helicopter tour over Manhattan. I was like, "That's amazing! Take it, get great shots." Um, and he just gave it back to me uh, Saturday, so I wore it too. <laughs> and I wanted it this week for a few reasons. Uh, my friends throw this huge annual giant like boat rave, so I took it to that and took a bunch of pictures <laughs> with like a crazy costume, like wearing like silver sequins and like shiny disco pants. Does, and, does uh, that explain? Wearing this does watch. that explain the silver markings on your arm? Yes, when you saw me for a brief second. <laughs> yes, that's. I have not. Yes, I have not taken these. These things do not come off. I, I tried showing yesterday. They are not coming off. I have all this like stuff. I took the stuff off my face. Thank God you didn't see because I would have looked like. A, it's okay. Uh, like, we, we, I managed to snip an image or two. <laughs> disappeared. I have like these random things on me. Um, these, these, these like silver tattoos. Speaking of things um, that disappeared and tattoos. Did you see that Paul Thorpe put a video up and it's gone? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the fact that Paul put a video up interviewing the ex-wife. Well, I'm not sure if it was the ex-wife. 
uh, whether they got divorced or, or I can't remember of one of the Cray twins. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's been better video content to put up to promote the watch community. <laughs> it didn't last long. Did you get to see the video? I saw about half of it. Yeah, I, c- I couldn't understand what the point of it was. Did you? I, th- I think the point of it was he knows somebody. Right, okay. I, th- I think it was just a kind of... I think he. I think somewhere in his mind he thought it was a good idea and then somewhere else in his mind <laughs> the, the fact that he decided to publish it without allowing folk to comment on the video I think as you suggested prior to this call you know, possibly was that there was an early warning system going off somewhere to say I'll put this video out, but maybe I shouldn't let folk comment on it. Hmm. So, uh, obviously, folk just text them instead and say, what on earth are you doing? Well, can we get, like, Rose West or Peter Sutcliffe on a show? I mean, it's not quite the same, uh, but uh, it's not quite the same. Get on people that were formerly married to really bad people. Uh-huh. So, would that be, like, Rolf Harris's wife mm-hmm. uh, or Jimmy Savile's mother or something like that? It just, yeah, it was just a bit of an odd one. But there we go. So, moving, moving back to the wrist check. Yes. <laughs> what's on your What's on your other wrist, Rob? Oh, the other. <laughs> I was like, "What are we talking about?" <laughs> um, the other. I have no idea who these people are. I'm sorry. I'm just out of loop. But <laughs> the uh, the other wrist is the Oris Movember Chronoris. Uh, the Movember for this year. Cool. Love it. Good 39 millimeter size. Uh, promoting a cause. Pretty solid watch. Mm-hmm. Good. And uh, gonna pass it around to the watch community to. Uh, some other guys to, to give it a try and give it a whirl. So I have Ricardo and Bearded Time. I have, uh, I think, another two guys who donated to the cause. I'm going to let them borrow it for a week or so. Uh, because, I mean, I have a decent amount of watches. Uh, I get watches sometimes. And I, 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 have, I let a lot of people borrow my watches. I let, them, I let them go out there because I can't wear all of them. I can only wear two at a time. So I like to spread the, the love, spread the UPS wealth. UPS delivers to Scotland just for it your does. information. Yeah, I, I, I might have to. We have given uh, Eduard Malian such big shout-outs in this show from Moser and bigged up all the Moser advertising campaign. And we even did an April Fool joke sort of alongside Moser. We didn't tell them we were doing it. So I think that watch has to come over here next. I think their lawyers are busy defending, not going after people, so we're good. <laughs> I've also got an idea to do a recreation of that. I reckon that Swiss, uh, what did they call it? Swiss icons? The, the Swiss icons watch. I reckon there must be somewhere in China that we could get that knocked off and actually, actually <laughs> issue it. Because as far as I can see, the only people that really had a claim over any IP for it was Panerai because the because the clasp system is a registered trademark. But I don't think anything else on that watch actually was trademarked. And you can't generally trademark watches uh, because they're viewed as being tools. So the watch industry keep telling us. Uh, and you're not allowed to patent uh, those kind of things. I'm not sure what else was on it that was actually protected. I think AP. I think I thought AP or Hublot or somebody was making I think, havoc. I can't. I think AP may own the rights to having screws on the uh, watch that are all lined up that way. I think they have the right to that. You can put screws. That's why the Chopard one, the Alpine Eagle, the screws aren't all in a line. I don't think that's because they're not screws in an AP. They're bolts. Well, they are, okay, bolts. You know what I mean? The screw head, they look like screws. Yeah, but they don't turn the from that head. side. Yes, I, I I understand how the technology works. No, you don't. <laughs> anyway, back I to the wrist checks. 
<laughs> so what are you wearing, Ricky? Uh, I am wearing my Speedy today. So that is the Apollo 8 Speedmaster from Omega. And good news, folks, for all the people that got in touch <laughs> to ask me where I got my funky rubber strap because they had difficulty trying to locate this through official Omega retailers. The reason is, Omega don't make that strap for this watch. <laughs> they make a version of it for another, I think it's a Porsche Design Racing or the Porsche Club of America Racing watch, but they don't do one that is 21mm, 22mm. So I found this on eBay. And then the seller disappeared, which was kind of odd, but uh, read into that what you may. But now, <laughs> a new batch of allocation has appeared on eBay from different sellers. So if you go on, well actually go in the show notes and there'll be links <laughs> But so many people had asked where to get it because it looks far, far better than the leather strap that comes with the Apollo 8. Uh, a lot of folks were wanting to get in on the action. So I posted up on our Instagram page just a couple of days ago saying, right guys, loads of people were asking, go check this out, you can go get it. And wow, did the comment section catch fire. <laughs> Somebody jumped in straight away and said, well, that looks like a fake strap. So what's the difference between that and buying a Parnas watch? I'm thinking, that's, hold on a minute. That's a, that somebody being Sanford who's much bigger than you are. Yeah, can he swim? Because <laughs> it's a big bit of pond between us. So uh, I, I replied and I said, well, hold on a minute. I'm looking to get a strap that Omega don't make to fit my $10,000 watch that I have bought that's legit and want to put a different strap on it. That's slightly different than buying a fake watch with a made-up name on it. You know, it's like you, you want a nice car mat for your car with Porsche on it. But Porsche don't make that particular one and you get one and it says Porsche. It's not exactly the same as having a fake car or a fake watch. So just, anyway, check the show just notes. You, just you keep telling yourself that. Oh, when I you do. appear in court, you can try and justify <laughs> it. Scott's <laughs> law. I mean, if, it, if it's any if it's any constellation, it's it's they're all kind of made in the same place <laughs> for the most part in, in, in Shenzhen or wherever it is. So, you know. Thanks. Okay, you can be good. my attorney. <laughs> Perfect. So yeah, Speedy Apollo You've... 8 was my favourite chrono at the moment, although I do like the Tudor still. So what are you wearing, Rick? Do we have to ask? So, well, I thought I I thought that because Rob was coming, I'd wear two watches. Right. So one is the Panerai, so the 1950s uh, 8-day, which is how I know that it is a trademark because it says on the side of it, registered trademark for the clip. And the other is the Seiko Arnie. Just because they balance each other out quite well, actually, to be fair. Mm, double fisting. Well, they're about Good. the same set of size. So, yeah. Thank you Two very watches. much for that. I appreciate that so much. <laughs> and uh, funny story. If we can get Jack Forster and Stephen Pulverit to recognize that people wear two watches. That'd be great. Uh, people people brought to my attention a couple times. They're like, did you know that he said they can't think of anyone who wears two watches and no one can pull it off except for this one guy? And I was like, I take that as a personal attack. I'm offended. <laughs> like, what the hell, Jack? To be fair, I've known Flo you for how many years? Too. Come on. Float Light wears two watches, as does Logan, t- the TikTok collector. He also wears two watches. He probably wears four. We've just never checked his legs. <laughs> That's probably true. He has got skinny wee legs. He probably fit them. Well, who's that guy? that TGV talks about that used to wear two watches he named the double wristing after them what was the name of that guy are you asking me hmm. asking anybody oh, I have no idea I have no idea oh, some general or <laughs> some army I, person I've never really I haven't really listened to TGV, TGV. that's fine can we just yeah. can we just uh, isolate that sound and can you just repeat after me I have never listened or watched TGV <laughs> you have never <laughs> had you... audio relations with that man <laughs> <laughs> I met him. He's like a nice guy. I mean, you know, whatever. Uh, he he had a couple accents. Uh, he's a guy. He's he's he's. Uh, I'm glad that he's with Watchbox. He's doing things. Good for him. You know? <laughs> what can I say? That's PC. I'm trying to be as PC you're, as you're, possible. You're you're know. missing the point of this show if you think that trying <laughs> oh, to be PC uh, is the aim. 
<laughs> that is fair. And I should have, I should have uh, never, I should have just glazed you, over you it. Should have. I mean, he's English, we're Scottish, we're allowed to say things about him. It's just the way of it. So how did you end up on Watchbox? Uh, you know, good friend Thanos asked me uh, to come on and and chat and talk and then uh i actually filmed um i have to go back there and do something with tim and talk we've been talking about doing something so if we and maybe do something again with tim Thanos. likes to talk about doing things and then doesn't deliver the goods so <laughs> I, well, I see that josh is giving up roofing for a living and has gone back to watchbox he's got he couldn't it's it's like a heroin addict he just can't <laughs> get away from the watches he's just like i got i need it i need it even when he left he's like i need to do something with watches yes. you know it's just it's just i get it the bug <laughs> i understand even when i've tried to leave the industry a few times i was just like up oh, can't can't do it just sucks me back in so i get it and he's just, he's so good at what he does so <laughs> it just made sense for thanos to go back and then uh it's a beautiful marriage so i'm glad he got back and now he's like come let's do this and i'm like yeah cool so i'm gonna go down there um and i filmed some stuff for watchbox seven episodes of a show when i was in switzerland where where i interviewed ceos oh, right. uh and watchmakers and uh they're producing it and i'm hoping it comes to light i'm uh hoping that they can put it out either by the end of this year or early next year um but that should be fun uh so that'll be another thing you'll see uh me Cool. Fumbling and turning up for things late. Good. Uh huh. Yeah, basically, it's just me like showing up. I mean, watchmakers. How difficult making clocks? I mean, really, how difficult can it be for a guy who wears two watches to be on time? You think? (laughs) I'm pretty sure someone once said a long time ago, "The man with two watches is never on time." I don't know. Google it. I'm Shakespeare must have said it. I don't know. So we communicated most recently, immediately after GPHG and Only Watch, where you messaged me saying. Can I come on? I've got, I think, actually, I can't remember quite what you said, but it was worse to the effect of, can I come on? I've got things to say. So, where... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, now would be a good time to, to revisit yeah, this, so, doing the podcast, because we're, so much to say about GPHG, there, there was a, there about was a, only And watch. you see, there was a couple of people that messaged us after GPHG in particular, saying... I've got things to say. Can I come on the podcast? And we messaged them back and says, yes, when would you like to come on? And by the time we had messaged them back 60 seconds later, they had realised that for their careers, it would actually have been a really bad idea to come on the show and tell us all what they <laughs> thought of uh, GPC. But it turns out that you don't care about your career. So uh, <laughs> ov- over to Rob now to tell us all about GPHG. Um, <laughs> all right. So thanks for putting that in that... <laughs> context where uh brands are gonna hate me um i'm sure i'll be fine i'm sure you will um eh, it's you know you you hear a lot of the same stuff where people are just like eh, you know it's some of it it, it some of it makes sense some of it does it i'm not happy with some of the, the watches they nominated or some of the other watches that should have been nominated but it is what it is so give us give us your top yeah. give us your top who do you think should have won or been nominated that wasn't in any particular category um, I can't even think of the watches that should have been nominated um, because when I, I there's so yeah. many you see so many throughout the year. I'm just looking. I'm like, oh my god, that should have been. There. Um, there's so many. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's. Um, I'm thinking of like uh, one of the most incredible buys of the year. If there was a value option, it would have been the uh, Carl F. Bucherer annual calendar chronograph mm-hmm. for like 
under it was like seven thousand yeah. or something like that's ridiculous and the fact that just because they're not a more popular brand it was overlooked um that kind of is one of the best deals that came out of basel by far to get an annual calendar at that price and a croc mm-hmm. um from a decent you know like a really good swiss brand um i was a fan of a lot of different categories i watched looking at the, at the at the menu different watches in every category and i was a little upset that for that the ap Code eleven fifty nine one for the complications. Uh, where is it? Not mechanical exceptions. No. What's your thoughts on code eleven fifty nine? Were you in Rob's case? He turns up at five minutes past twelve. <laughs> well, the uh, there's I don't hate the case. Um, I understand what they're trying to do. I felt like they kicked them in the and they they bit themselves in the ass when they mentioned oh we forced it we rushed it in like four hours we put these people in a room and and everyone was just like i remember everyone's reaction was just like what that's not a good idea um but the for me the watch was something that it could have been a home run and it missed every variable just off center so every single thing about it was just slightly off and if at least, even if a few of them were on point, then it would have been not a complete failure. Um, and I'm sure they're not going to say it was a complete failure. And I'm sure people are, are going to buy it and love it. Because, again, we have to remember that the, the the majority of the population who buy watches aren't the people who are, you know, follow social media and, and are on the internet and the blogs and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's a small percentage of us who actually know about these watches. There's a bigger percentage of people who buy watches who don't know anything about watches. Yes. And that's kind of like why Hublot is like, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of, you know, of company where they're selling in Mexico and all over the world. They're selling all over. They're selling a lot. And in our community, people hate Hublot unjustly, to be honest. They're not bad. They're actually a pretty decent watch. Yep. Um, but So like the fact that there was this huge uproar for Code 1159 isn't going to necessarily hurt the bottom line of the brand as much, just with the collectors and, you know, and it does matter, the collectors and the, the, the community, and the fact that a lot of us are just, it has such a bad reputation. It does matter, but, you know, they'll be fine. They're only going to sell, like, 200 or whatever number they said, 2,000 watches. It should be fine. They, they'll get by. I think it was wrong because the finishing of, you couldn't read it, and that's kind of one of the biggest mistakes. That's Telling the time on a watch is kind of quite up there on a list of things that you want to be doing. Oh, my God. It's It's... It's so silly that sometimes you can't do it. It's 2019. What watch brand? And it, it all comes down to ego and it all comes down to people, to brands wanting uh, form over function. And that's where I have like a huge like red flag with certain brands when they rather it look pretty than be functional. Or when my biggest pet peeve is chronographs. I use chronographs. So, I mean, I need 12-hour chronographs because I'm timing things that are more than 30 minutes. So when... A gorgeous watch has a 30-minute chronograph. It, like, upsets me because I'm just like, this is great, but not as useful as it could be. So to go back to the code 1159, have silver shiny, you know, white hands on a black dial, and you can't even see the markers. You can't see anything. Uh, it's just such a such a waste. No one cares about the crystal and, the, and all that other stuff. The case shape is the right proportion, in my opinion. I'm a fan of it. It's great, but the fact that it has no bezel makes it look bigger than it really is. Mm. The fact that they made hollow lugs because they're trying to make it look futuristic. And I get what they were trying to do. They were trying to do the Richard Meal thing. They were trying to be like, let's make it exclusive. Let's make the Richard Meal. We're like related to Richard Meal and we don't we're not benefiting from it. So let's make a Richard Meal essentially in the AP line. And that's what they tried to do by doing that hollow futuristic lugs. And like, does anybody even talk or care that the the bottom lug isn't connected to the case? And it's like you could you could slip a sheet of paper paper there? No, no one no one gave a flying 
about that. No one ever said anything about that. Good to collect dirt. So it's like, yeah, it's just like that doesn't matter. But I guess you guys are trying to do something. And the problem was the difference between them, Richard Mille, and again, like Richard Mille and MBNF. It took them like almost a decade before they got super popular. Mm-hmm. It with with the Code Eleven Fifty Nine, they were like, let's try to do something futuristic and modern and contemporary, and then make a round. And then it was like, you can't do both. Yeah. So you can't be like half pregnant. You get either one way or the other. It's like my, my old mentor used to say that you can't be half pregnant. Yes or no. It's either one way or the other. And uh, it's true because they, they did this thing where it's like, all right, well, let's, you know, keep our one foot in the bath, you know, be round, try to be classic and then still be futuristic. Yeah. So for the reasons of like, I hate stick hands. I hate the fact that you can't read it. Um, some of them are pretty, obviously. Um but it, it would have been and it should have been a home run. And they just and if they just changed a, a, a few variables just slightly off, then they would have they would have been fine. Uh, and now the longa, I don't want to keep talking. But no, you I keep mean, talking. I don't think the, <laughs> you go. the the difference between this and the longa. I I know some people didn't like the longa, but I think it's just easy to hate. It's so much easier to hate than it is to love something. So it's a lot hard to say this is the good in the watch as opposed to being like this is. It's so easy for everyone to be a critic and say. This is why I hate the watch. And the Code 1159, justly, and because of the reasons I said, like, it, there's a there's a reason why it's not the best watch and it can be hated. The Longa, I don't think, is does have, like, that many reasons. I think the Longa is, we they knew they were going to not please everybody. And to be honest, when you take a watch that, a brand that makes only classic dress watches in every regard, every, even the sports watches were dress watches, you know, S- shiny, smooth, clean um high polished uh refined no you know bezel basically just like a smooth bezel they were all dress watches so for them to come up with a sports watch they were going to disrupt and and they were going to ruffle feathers no matter what so for them to do what they did with the uh, uh odyssey i don't even know what it's called is it odysseus yeah <clears throat> um i saw it in person and i loved it i mean i loved it before i saw it in person because uh i think they did everything right they did something with the uh I get that it looks weird because the lugs are like the same shape of like a watch with regular lugs. And then they made it sort of into like an integrated bracelet. Um, but it looks like regardless of whether they say you can or not, it looks like you could take the bracelet off and put a strap. And to be honest, that's one of the most appealing things to me. So make a steel sports watch with somewhat of an integrated bracelet, but you can actually take it off. Same thing with the uh, Paddock 5960. When they made that steel annual calendar round and they made the steel version and they put it on a bracelet, they're like, you can't take the bracelet off. People did it anyway because <laughs> like, if people want to do it, they're going to do it. So the same thing with that Longa. They could say you can't take that bracelet off. We, You look at the back, you can clearly take the bracelet off with the right tools if you're mm-hmm. that person. Um, so props for that, for making an integrated bracelet and not not con- conforming to this. It's a steel sports watch. It has to have an integrated bracelet you can't take off like the Nautilus and the Royal Oak and all these other watches, um, like Vacheron was one of the few that did it right and actually had an integrated bracelet you could take off. And that's like kudos to them. I'm not a fan of the overseas as much, but kudos that you can do that because that was like a huge, uh, I think, uh, point of like why people might be hesitant to buy a steel watch where you can't take the bracelet and you can't accessorize it. And y- so that Langa has that. And then go ahead. Where are you I was just saying, you you've got to wonder what's going on in the world of Richemont where Vacheron have a clear success in offering the overseas with three different strap options that all come collective and that that's worked really well for them in a watch that isn't terribly popular and how that information does not manage to transfer itself over to the folk at Langer to say actually this thing worked really well over here let's actually copy a bit of something we know has gone down really well because anyone you hear speaking about the overseas always mentions the, the strap options that come with it and the bracelet. It's one of the big selling points of that watch. I thought they usually mentioned depreciation. Well, they mentioned depreciation as well, yes. Okay. And the fact that you should only buy them used. Yeah. 
they do mention that as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I see them. I can see why they do that for the, all their Swiss brands. And, and I'm not mad that they don't share that with their, their one German brand, with Langa. Because Langa really needs to be an island on its own. For it to be successful, it needs to be as far away from Richemont as possible. And they've done a good job of doing mm-hmm. that. They've done a good job of, of keeping Langa like an island away from everything else, keeping it in Germany, in his little town, and just kind of do their own thing. So I, I'm okay with not, them not sharing the technology, even though it would be awesome. Because like you have Cartier, IWC, Jaeger, they all use the same technology yes. where you could, t- you know, you know, take on and off the bracelets and straps. Um, but I, I'm okay with it because you, the last thing you want is any kind of relation to a, a, a an umbrella group. So I get it that they don't do that, but they should do their own and just have people take off that bracelet. <laughs> I'm sure people do it anyway. So, um, I'm not mad at the color, the the size. I mean, the flanked. For me, the first thing I saw I was like, okay, it it has a smooth bezel, which isn't really a, a a sports watch, but but again, it doesn't matter. It's for a first variation of a sports watch. This is the perfect like step into that category. Have the smooth bezel because you still need to keep it like a dress watch. It's still a longa. You need a beautiful dial. The fact that it has these complications is great. New movement, blah, blah, blah. The flank uh, the flank on the crowns. Like I would have preferred like a crown guard mm-hmm. for it to be a sports watch. The flank kind of mimic that even though they're not a crown guard. And the fact that they're functional is kind of cool because mm-hmm. if they didn't have a function, then they would just be purely aesthetic and that would be kind of weird and it would kind of be sticking out for no reason. So if they were going to be there, they would have to either be above the crown or functional. And they're functional. So good for them. That's a thing. It, it works. So uh, The bracelet's great too. The finishing's great. Go ahead. So you're, you're obviously a man of opinions. So of the watch companies that you've experienced, which is going to be most of them, which of those watch companies would you actually like to get your hands on in order to give it a go? So if I was to say money's no object, go buy X watch brand and take it for a walk, take its ideas for a walk, its history, which one would you choose? Ooh, that's hard. I do love um, Gronenfeld, the Remontois 1941. Mm-hmm. The finishing on the movement and the case, the, the, the finishing of the case, the size of the case, um, the things they do, because they share amongst other independent watchmakers, so they'll like use Caribou Tulane's dials occasionally. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're two brothers. And you know, some of my favorite watches kind of come out Outside of Switzerland, um, like Carrie's from Finland, Grunfeld's from the Netherlands. Um, I love so many watch brands that are from outside of Switzerland. I love Switzerland, obviously, for what they do. How often do you uh, go? Uh, too often. Switzerland, maybe two, sometimes three times a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes just once, but it's. I think this last year was like I was in Europe. And you've not. You obviously times. weren't at GPHG or Only Watch this year. So what did you think of Only Watch? I, I skipped it, but I was like I was just watching it. There's no point in me being. There. I've been there in the past, but uh, <laughs> um, but oh, to Gronenfeld because of the, the movement finishing is definitely one that's like I would. It's one of my grails. That and as 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 much as I hate to say it, Paddock. I love the grand complications. Like the split chrono, like the 5370 or the 5208, which is uh, a paddock I'm not crazy about mm-hmm. working for them and, and having one. And like, I just, it, some, a lot of the stuff is overhyped and it's a lot of mainstream stuff. And then they put like three movements in kind of like all the watches. And they're great watches, but they're, they're just watches and a lot of it is hype. The grand collocations, they do better than anyone else. I mean, the only people that come close are like Christopher Claret, who's like the master of Minner Peters. You know, and there's a handful of guys who do these really, really complicated things. Um, but Paddock's like instantaneous, perpetual, uh, mono pusher, chronograph, minute repeater is probably one of my favorites. Um, but to 
go back. What was your question about? Just about watch brands that you would like to take over in order to give them a, a bit of a kicking, you know, a bit of a boost. No, then you talked about only watch. Play, boost. Play, Armin, well, and only watch. Armin Strom. Only... Armin Strom is a great brand too. That doesn't get enough credit uh, for the stuff they do. Uh, when it comes to only watch, I was, I'm a little upset that the tutor went for that much. Um, it's odd, but it, it is because it's it's a it's a it's branding, uh-huh. um, and it, I think we saw something. We saw uh, real collectors, real uh, watch people buying this, and people who know about the market and the and the value. And there's a reason. Like I get it. I get why the tutor went for more than the Richard Meal. Like there's it completely makes sense, and it shouldn't be that much of a surprise. But it was a surprise. So Richard Meal coming out with like just a regular watch. That wasn't special anyway. And also because Richard Mille is so inflated depending on... Richard Mille is a watch that was a product that is a... Is a it, the price and the resale is there because of market. It's not necessarily because of quality or value, right? So, and I hate to say that because it's a great brand. I like it. They're actually pretty cool. They're, they're futuristic. They're changing the game. Good for them. I'm a fan. I'd get one if I could. Yep. Uh, but the fact that the market and the value is... The, the value is so uh, decided on the market that it could be like Panerai and deflate. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it wasn't a special ration meal and that it only went for like half or like twice of, or maybe three times, it only went for like it was 320, I think it went for, yeah. Yeah, like 320, yeah. For the fact that it only went for 320 when that's kind of like what the retail value yes. would be if you were just buying it off of a, you know, from a dealer is not surprising because it, it's, people weren't going to pay that much over because it wasn't that special. Mm-hmm. Where the tutor went for like, what, 100 times over what it retails yeah, three, or something like that? A $4,000 watch, yeah. $5,000 watch in theory that went for $350,000. Makes sense because of its tie with Rolex and whenever you're going to get a one-off Rolex, yeah. ever. I, so, I mean, you, you've I mean, you've come from that world in the past, the world of auctions. Uh, and one of my comments about the only watch auction, which was, yeah, it's great, it's for charity, etc., but it's basically a way of very big people with lots of money getting a really great tax write-off and at the same time ending up with a watch in many cases. What, what, what did you identify from behind the scenes within the auction industry about how much people were buying watches because they were watch connoisseurs, how much they were doing it for tax evasion, tax avoidance, tax planning... Uh, and how much of it was just actually pure money laundering in some cases you know what like everything else it's just it's really down the it's I, i'm not gonna say it's down the middle it's hard to say because you know when you're in the auction world and you're and you're you're working with these big brands you they may know and sometimes they don't know because these clients are just you know doing their own thing and they you know they aren't telling the auctioneers hey i need to get rid of these you know can you take cash you know so sometimes they're not doing that sometimes they are um i couldn't tell you like an exact number i would say i wouldn't say it's half and half i would just say it just like everything else in the world with the richest and most elite people are going to do what they need to do to save the money and it's not that i mean you hit it on the nose you're not wrong i'm sure there's people who a they're they're saving money by spending money because you know tax write-offs um, which is like when you see, oh, this billionaire donated a hundred million dollars, you know, to Newark schools. Well, yeah, because they save more money by doing that. It's not that they're generous, but that's you know, everyone wins yes. in theory. So who cares, right? Um, so yeah, you definitely are going to see that people are throwing money into the auctions, and then people are. There's a lot of collectors that genuinely just want to get some rare things, and then there's the people who have all the money, and they're just like, well. They'll come to auctioneers and they trust auctioneers and the auction the auction staff to say, "What can I invest my money in?" That's a really good buy. And the auction the auction 
people are, are salespeople. They have to convince people to get this. This is rare. This is going to you know, create value. This is going to be worth it 10 years from now. And they keep, everyone keeps those ties. So eventually people are going to buy things and then they'll hold on to them. And it makes sense for them to have people they know buy things because then they can come back to them 10, 15 years <laughs> and, and say, again. hey, do you, do you have that? Let's put that up for auction. You'll get yes. twice your money or more. And that's why these things pop up. All these watches have been like kind of set, I think, organized years in advance. And they say, all right, well, this year's, this season's auction, we're going to pull from this and we're going to pull from that yes. and bring it back to auction. But that's, again, my more of my assumption than anything I've no, seen. I think, I think I that's dead right. Big ones, I but, think that's dead right. Yeah. So as well as obviously being involved in the auction world, you, you are intrinsically linked to all things watch media. So give us your take on just what is happening with watch media and where it's going, especially this week with the announcement that Hodinkee themselves have now become an authorised dealer for uh, for Omega. Where do you see this? How How is this all going to play out, in your opinion, long term? Well, digital media is just rapidly changing, and it's going to change even more once we have um, 5G becomes more of a thing. And just understanding how technology is going to change in the near future and how I, it's, it's kind of hard to predict what's going to happen because are we going to be liking pictures or is everything just going to be streaming video and and and, and facebook and and a lot of platforms understood that a few years ago and then they started making the change to video and it's funny how some things work and some things don't like vine was so hot and then it it just died out periscope yep. is so hot and it died out um or maybe periscope is still a thing i don't know i just don't know anybody who uses it um but now TikTok is like such a big thing and Gary Vee keeps talking about um so it's constantly going to be changing and evolving and i'm not surprised that obviously print is slowing down and dying, but it's not going to go away until that entire generation dies off. So it might be 20 years before print is completely gone, uh, but I'm not surprised. It's going to. Um, I'm not surprised. I hope it doesn't ever go away. Um, I love print for so many reasons. And obviously the brands and the companies who are moving forward have to keep up with it. And I get that a brand like Hadinky uh, has a business plan to make money and have investors to, that are going to make money by, you know, broadening their their portfolio by doing uh e-commerce and retail uh there's a lot of money to be made uh, i don't know if bannon hudinki set off 10 years ago 11 years ago to say we're gonna sell watches and that's gonna be our thing in the very beginning they sold watches but they were just selling used watches um so it's not like it's a new thing for them they've always been selling watches and products because that's a, a, a revenue stream um, so I'm not surprised that they're, it's a, it's a big accomplishment for them to be an AD for a brand like Omega and Omega and a lot of Swiss brands are saying, okay, this is the way we need to do it. We can sell bigger quantities at like a, a larger amount. And a great example was, um, Robert Jan Brower kind of, I think I give Robert Jan Brower the credit for starting this. And if we, if there was a history book, which there really isn't, it should really start with RJB and doing the unthinkable, um, which was doing the Speedy Tuesday making that original Speedy Tuesday uh, watch and selling it online with Omega. And, and, it, and it was the, the concept of, hey, Omega, instead of working so hard with all these reps and all the dealers and all this trying to sell pedal a few hundred watches at a time, like 20 watches from this store, 20 watches that store, and it's a lot of work and people and man hours. And then here comes Robert Jambro with a brilliant idea. Let's sell, I don't know, what was it, several thousand watches in like a few hours and made Omega like, I don't know, three to six million dollars like that in, in a matter of a day. And they say, okay, why are we going to waste so much time doing all these other things uh, that take, we're selling the most minimal, not that they're going to get rid of it. I don't think they are. I think they, 
they're gonna they're gonna keep ads mom and pops and they're gonna keep doing that because it's a it's a model that that works and it's not dead yet um but now they're in, in, incentivized to do things like this so it makes sense for them to partner with a, a company like omega who can pump out a lot more watches digitally on a smaller you know on a, a smaller time frame so that just makes sense because RDAB did that with the Speedy Tuesday twice and made them like, and so did, so did Hodinkee. Hodinkee sold that IWC pilot watch easily made. Uh, I think I did, someone did the math. I did the math. You just, you calculate how many watches. It was like a thousand, two thousand, whatever pieces it is. Multiply that by the four or five thousand bucks. Then you just literally made, and you split that in half. You made the company like a million, two, three million dollars within a day. Um, so, so what do you see the risk as being though to Hodinkee? I mean, if you were watching a Switzerland, you'd be mighty peeved having done all this bricks and mortar in New York, to then have Hodinkee being your competition around the corner. Was well, there not some retailers that sort of got really pissed off with somebody doing stuff with Hodinkee and decided they were going to ditch them out of their shops? That was yeah, Wempy it... with Nomos, was it not? I don't know if it was Hodinkee, but was that not Wem- did Wempy not fall out with Nomos? It was something like that. It was a smaller brand, a Nomos, a Norris, somebody like that. But I, I think it was happening. because Nomo started selling direct or geared up with an online retail. I don't think it was Hodinkee in particular. Mm-hmm. And Wemper were like, well, we've invested in all, we've supported you from day one yeah. when nobody knew who on earth you were. And now look what you've done. So actually you can just uh, take a run and jump. Hopefully I'm correct in saying it was Wempy and Nomos, otherwise we're eventually going to get our cease and desist notice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. Actually, I don't know. I don't know if it was Wempy with uh, with that brand. But like, I understand why, A, a retailer who's been with somebody from the beginning would be upset. But I also think it's futile for any any retailers or even any blogs or even brands to have any kind of... Uh, resentment towards yeah. each other because it's the it's the nature of the game and the evolution and change has to happen people are always trying to fight change so it just needs to happen and people just need to get on board in whatever way possible so retailers like watches of switzerland is a brilliant game i, I got to interview david hurley uh for a blog to watch some time ago and we had a, a, a great conversation because they're ramping up they're opening up new stores in the united states they're coming to the states they're taking over and so is um booker with buying Torneau. they're gonna ramp up in the next couple of years and get ready to t- attack all the north america as well and that's kind of a big deal because that's like saying all right we're back we're retailers we're not going down without a fight and talking to david hurley about his game plan i sat down with him and said okay so in a time where digital is blowing up, everyone's buying things online, people are going direct to consumer, like technology is advancing quite rapidly. Why would you guys invest in retail stores and open up like essentially like a mall, like be in that mall, like at Hudson Yards? And why would you guys do this? You know, uh, and he gave me a great answer. It's like, we're doing things differently. We ha- have hope and we, we have trust in what we've been doing in, in the UK and abroad. Like they, they do a lot of great things. They've been blowing up and they actually have great relationships and they've been expanding and growing. So it's not that the retail market in person is dying because it's not, but they're being innovative by creating, just thinking outside the box and, and, and breaking the mold. And I've worked with a lot of retailers. I've consulted with different retailers across the board and I've seen the gamut of like some that kind of suck and some are lazy and then some that are better and then some are that are like, outside the box that they're trying to do something and be innovative and they're not lazy. And that's the that's the that's the the real difference between who's going to make it and who's not. So, There's going to be retailers who are not going to cut it in the next 5 10 years they're going to be gone so who because should, they're not going to be able to survive. Who should we look out for then? Who's coming up on the rails? Who's doing it the way that you think it should well, be done? Well, watches in Switzerland. 
Watch of Switzerland has been, um, I mean, they all, a lot of them are doing well. Like, a lot of them are doing great. Watch of Switzerland, talking to Dave Hurley, I'm just talking about this one instance with him when I talked and I asked him, and they're just doing such innovative things. They're thinking outside the box in the sense where their, their flagship store in Soho, it's a large space. They have a really high-end uh, uh, bar, like a Death & Co. is like a really fancy uh, mixologist cocktail bar. They have them down there. They're doing things with sneakers this week or last week. They're doing things. They're just they're, they're doing everything possible. I remember they were talking about doing something with Grand Seiko. I was like, you should definitely do something with Grand Seiko. Keep them there as long as possible. Grand Seiko's going up in the ranks, and I, I want to see them survive and, and su- uh, succeed, rather. They're definitely well, going to Well, watch the Switzerland group. Uh, they're the guys that are really forward-thinking because it was their group that approached us of putting a, an event on recently. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they've done a lot of events with people yeah. in New York, um, and they're just – I appreciate and respect that. So I'm not too worried. And any retailer is just like, I'm a little worried about, you know, digital and Hadinky doing this and selling that. They shouldn't worry. They shouldn't worry about it at all because there's enough pie for everyone. Um, and there's a lot of, a lot of greed. And, uh, you know, it, the fact that the bottom line is getting smaller and smaller for certain retailers or, or you know, brands now want to make all the money. And the boutiques was, a, was an idea 10 years ago where the brands are like, we'll get more money if we just make our own boutiques. And they saw that that model didn't really work well. It was good for branding purposes, but essentially what happened is some of these brands, by still having retailers close by, the brand flagship boutiques became, essentially just became um, glorified repair centers. Yes. And a bunch of them closed down Yeah, because of it. So, I mean, there's uh, there was pros and cons to it, and it, it ran its course, and some brands are making money by having the boutiques. A lot of them aren't. So it, it, it behooves them to stay with the retailers and nurture those relationships and then be with the good retailers that are actually going to not be lazy and just sit there and be clerks, but the ones that are actually going to make progress to like make connections with the, with the, uh, with the consumer. Because that's important. And that's what, why retailers are so important because we need to have those relationships with the consumers because you're selling a, a product, a luxury item. You need to sell the sizzle, not the steak. So you need to really kind of like nurture those relationships and I've noticed in the last couple of years when I work with brands, I need to put a watch. And, and with me too, when I meet a brand and I could have seen the watch for years and the pictures and whatever, Basel, until I get it on my in my hand and try it on, I have a completely different relationship with that watch. So digital is only going to go so far. And that's why it's great that Hadinki is doing this pop-up because you need people to come in and try on the watches. Yeah. And you're always kind of going to need that, especially for you know four-digit, five-digit products. So how does Spanish Rob make his money to feed his watch habit? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I was going to say so many inappropriate things, and I'm just like... <laughs> no, that's how Ricky earns that's money. That's how Wico makes his money. <laughs> <laughs> you leave my pal way out of this. <laughs> I'm a consultant. Um so I'm, I've been fortunate enough that I've been using my expertise in so many different categories and have a rare, just like a, a combination of skills that benefit certain people. So I'll, I have a, I started a media agency where I'm doing a photography and videography that's watch related. So if you do an event, uh, watch time New York was one of my first clients. Uh, and I did the photo and the video for watch time New York that, that just happened. And a lot of times you hire photo people or video people and they don't know anything about watches. And this happens a lot in this industry. So that's why I've had a job for so long because I've worked, I've gone to places and they just don't have watch people. Even in the watch industry itself, you work at a, at a, at a company, you go work corporate for whatever Richemont brand or Swatch Group brand, a lot of people are admin, like administrative people. They're not watch people. So that's been given, that's given me uh, a lot of work because I can come in somewhere and am also an enthusiast mm-hmm. 
you know, and a collector and I can bring, and I know enough about watching and keep current that I can bring that to the table. So when I was doing media, I know who all the watch people are. I know everyone there. I know all the watchmakers. I know what to film, you know, who to, you know, focus on. I would pull watchmakers together and be like, you two talk. I'm getting video of you guys doing this because this would be great coverage. This is great media, you know? And I can create that kind of stuff because I know the players. Where if you brought in a random videographer who's doing weddings and doing all these other things, they're just filming. They don't know, you know, they're, they don't know if to, to film Stephen Forze or the guy next to Stephen Forze. They have no idea. So that's benefited me quite a bit. Um, that's essentially, I've been using those resources. Between that, I have a a collective YouTube channel, uh, Watch With Us channel with John Keel, Ricardo, uh, and we're doing some great things. Um, so that's another project. And I have another project that I'm working that I can't say yet. Cool. That's going to come out soon. Okay, good. Uh, an e-commerce project. Um, and then just a few other random things. And then I just have different consultants. I consult with different brands, retailers, uh, you know, things like that. Good. It's, it, it's convenient because, I mean, I've worked for people for a year or two at a time and then I work for myself and I kind of really love working for myself. But I go back and forth. So what then is on the radar in terms of a next watch purchase, seeing as you have a bit of insight into maybe what's coming? Ooh, <laughs> I don't know. There's so much. I want to... I want to. I've, I've Zenith has been on my on my short list for since the beginning. Uh, like uh, and as they've been evolving, I'm kind of liking the uh, the old classic looking. Uh, I mean, I, I I actually like buying used watches, like vintage ones, older ones. Not vintage. I'm sorry. I'm not crazy about vintage because I'm kind of rough with my watches. So I like to buy some of the modern 2000 mid 2000 watches, like a, a Zenith Grand Chrono Master Open XXT, um, or the uh, Planet Ocean from Omega with the orange bezel because I like color. Um, I actually got an IWC Galapagos. It, it's all black. It's not all color, but it's like covered in rubber. Right. And I bought that after like wanting it for like seven years. Right, okay. I'm more of an opportunist buyer. So, so um, you're patient. I'm patient and I buy when the, the mood it strikes, when things are right. I actually might have an opportunity to buy a Pepsi. And again, I haven't bought my first Rolex until literally last year. Uh, just to let all the listeners know, I have finally finished a video. So the Bremont video from Edinburgh over at Chisholm Hunter from a couple of weeks ago is now live on our YouTube channel. And I think it's on Facebook and it will be going on Instagram. So, so one, and one down, 24 to go. One down, 24 to go. And I know <laughs> slightly more than normal videographers, so I actually focused in on the important parts instead of the pretty girls. <laughs> Which makes a pleasant change. It does. It's not a nightclub video. I had to snap out of that. Because normally at Jacob & Co, all you're all about is the pretty girls at the watch. Rob, you were at Basel, Jacob and Co, PR girls. Was that a problem? Was I doing the right thing? <laughs> you saw them. Come on, back me up. Those aren't PR girls. They're just those are Russian models they hire to wear like <laughs> evening gala dresses and just stand around, which is hilarious um, <laughs> that they do that because you're like, wow, it's it's 1987. <laughs> Sexism is still alive and rampant, but only in that booth. Um, they they do some amazing things though. I'm not going to girls. Well, <laughs> I'm going to keep my mouth Good shut. Idea. But the watches are great. Um. <laughs> well, on that funky note, it is time to draw this show and indeed this series to a close because <laughs> <laughs> Rob has broken the internet. Rob, do you want to tell the guys where they can find you on Instagram, your website, anywhere else? Um, yeah, you could follow uh, my Instagram is at Spanish Rob. Uh, my Facebook page is facebook.com slash srhorology. Uh, and more importantly, follow Watch With Us channel on Instagram. And if you look up Watch With Us channel 
on YouTube and give us a follow, that'd be huge. That'd be great. We're doing a lot of different content. We're doing microbrand stuff. Occasionally, I come in with like an interview. <laughs> like I did uh, Ed Malin, uh, which was a great. He broke a. He gave us a scoop on them possibly doing a chronograph in the, in the near future. So he broke that story on on the interview that I did with him, uh, Cellini. Um, yeah, yeah. So watch with his channel, YouTube, and Instagram. Perfect, cool. So check out all things Scottish watches, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, make sure you've also follow the collaborative channel that is Hotix. You can find it at hotix.com or at We Are Hotix, and that's uh, Bark and Jack, us at Scottish Watches, and the girls at Ten and Two. Uh, Final other things, if we have unfollowed you recently on Instagram, then tough. That's just the way life goes. We don't like uh, it. We're having, we're having to clear up our Instagram account because it's just <laughs> it's just a mess. So we're having to go through the process of unfollowing it. So don't take offence. And if you still want to send us a direct message, we will accept the direct message. So do keep in touch. That's amazing. Thank you so much for having me That's on. That's no problem at all. We're very glad you could, very glad you could get on here Eventually. 40 minutes and 16 weeks later. Uh, there we go so as we say it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them goodbye ciao Oh, no, no, no.